0: what's up everybody welcome to another edition of the dc sports huddle it is sponsored by our friends at mgm national harbor for the latest in washington sports visit mgm national harbor and experience a sports fans paradise i am rob whitford i am checking my eligibility to see if i can play for ed cooley alongside our own coaching legend george wallace and uh dave Rustin, uh bracketology expert he's also uh pretty adept at questionable headwear which she graciously did not uh demonstrate today so
1: guys, um, first of all, how's, how's my lighting? I just turned the light. Look at this. I look like better than the light. It really
0: brings out your eyes, George. It does. We're going to talk about the Georgetown Hoyas, who uh, just introduced Ed Cooley as the new head basketball coach. And we have said it many times here, guys, on this show, the Hoyas needed to move on from the John Thompson era. And this is the first hire really in a generation that represents Uh, the kind of change that they need in order to get back to national prominence. Uh, I would run through a wall for that guy based on what I heard at the press conference yesterday. Dave Preston was actually there. Uh,
1: And he did run through a wall.
0: Yeah, that that, that, that explains the bump. Exactly. That's why he doesn't have on the questionable headwear today. So uh, what were your impressions, Dave, as you were at that press conference and actually got an opportunity to uh, speak with the voice of the Hoyas, who may get to say Hoyas win a few more extra times this year. Yeah.
2: Yeah, what was neat was we had a a chance for local perspective, some national perspective as well from different reporters. And this feels like a slam dunk hire. Granted, we've seen coaches lose press conferences, Uh, Dan Campbell in Detroit in the NFL, Jim Zorn closer to home in Washington. The joke was last year when Kevin Willard got hired at Maryland. How can you lose this? Well, if he says... Well, I'm where well, I'm going to win the ACC. The only way that Ed Cooley could have lost the press conference yesterday would have been to say, and I'm going to bring a national championship to the Friars. And be, oh, God, that's that, that's not my school anymore. That's the only way he could have lost. He, you know, he really brought a lot of enthusiasm that had, I guess, been lacking. Uh, you know with the program and and you you could say it's been 10 years since there's been a lot of positivity around the program 10 years to the day yesterday was their loss to Florida Gulf Coast Dunk City where they got dump trucked by a 15 seed and that was sort of the, uh, the the line of demarcation from you know the JT3 era where even though they had lost some questionable games they lost a game to Steph Curry. They lost you know, a game to a, a hot shooting uh, Ohio team. But to lose to a school like Florida Gulf Coast was the beginning of the end of the JT3 era. And 10 years later, they've got a guy with a ton of enthusiasm. And it's going to be what remains to be seen is can he recruit effectively in this area? You know, I think he can. It depends on what sort of staff he brings in. Does he have somebody in from the local AAU programs who he brings in, or does he keep most of his Providence staff intact? So, you don't get to the final four with your opening press conference, but for the first time in a long time, it's morning again on the hilltop.
1: You know, Patrick Ewing, his opening press conference, it was Patrick. So there was no really, I mean, that was already a win, right? At that point, it was Patrick Ewing coming back to save the day. So you're right hasn't had this at Georgetown in a long time. But I and I will say Ed Cooley is I thought he was fine the way he said it would have taken the right and the perfect opportunity to leave Providence because he'd been was home for 12 years. They gave him everything up there, they gave him a couple of contract extensions. And I'm okay with him just saying it's just time for a change and there's time to take a new challenge. Like I'm totally fine with that. I know I know everybody's pissed off up there, and that's fine because you said. You know, it wasn't a lifetime contract, but it was going to take a very special place for him to leave. And that's what this is. So I have no problem with that. The issue is going within the conference. And yet the athletic directors at these meetings, you're going to have the presidents, the ADs at these meetings. Uh, You know, it's definitely going to be a little awkward.
2: What this has done is this has added another must-go-to home game at Capital One Arena. You can make the case that there was no reason to go to any games this year. But – the St. John's game with Rick Patino guiding the Red Storm, that's a must game. UConn is going to be a must game. The Providence game is going to be must watch as well. So yeah. it, it adds some spice to what has been a very bland
0: home diet the last few seasons. And yeah, also, right. I mean, the Big East is big again. I mean, there was a time where this was one of the preeminent conferences in college basketball. Syracuse was at its peak. Georgetown was at its peak. Even if the competition isn't where it was in the 80s, right. at least the sizzle and the attraction is going to be there. There was one aspect of it, and I know George Wallace is going to be uh, particularly interested in the piece of it, whether they play Maryland now, yeah. you know, a little more often. Now, Ed Cooley kind of touched on that, and he basically, he, he said, and I joked about this on air a couple of times yesterday, is um, it's kind of like when your dad, uh, you ask him for something you really want, and he says we'll see, uh, and depending on the parent, that's mm-hmm. it's a no that I don't want to give you right now. Right. right. And <laughs> you know, I don't, I, I don't know how to interpret it with yes. it, but that was kind of and the that's, I got when he when when that was brought up, and he was like, oh well, we're not going to do it if it doesn't make sense for Georgetown.
1: Right. And and but the thing is, he and Kevin are close. They were they were in the Big East together. Right. When I was in uh, Greensboro last week, and we were doing our little pregame interviews. Uh, Ed Cooley actually came into our room and Maryland, the Maryland game was finishing against West Virginia. So he was re- openly cheering, you know, for Kevin. And they, at that point, obviously knowing he was going to be gone and be recruiting against him next year. But uh, I think it's a good thing, I think, if they can get together and make it happen. It doesn't have to be every year, but like Mark and John did, the, you know, the home and home for a couple of years. And I love the quote, you know, if it makes sense for Joe, we're not going to do it just to say we do it. Well, you got it. That's why you're going to do it. I mean, you know, the fans want to do it. You want to pack your building. You want to spice things up a little bit, and just find a way to make that happen.
0: I think he's just trying to suss out if they're going to be good enough to.
1: Well, that's fine. Yeah.
0: Good to beat them. Yeah. If, if it's going to be a guaranteed loss to Maryland every year, then that's right. probably why he doesn't want to do that. So
1: that's fine. You don't have to do it next year. In your first year, get you know, get your feet wet. That's fine. But at some point, I mean, there's no Thompson. There's no Gary. You know, that that whole thing's done. Yeah, uh, You know, as far as the schools are, no lefty, you know what I mean? It's only different blood now. So I, I think you can make it work.
2: What I like is when you have schools in metropolitan areas that are in different leagues and they play regularly, it it makes for fun. Xavier and Cincinnati is the case in point right there. Two schools, two different conferences, and it became must watch in December. It was one of those non-conference games that even if you didn't have anything to do with either school, you felt the intensity, you felt the sense of urgency on the floor. I'm not saying that Maryland Georgetown could be that, but there's a lot of potential, uh, potentially great basketball to be played in and around the Beltway here. Yeah. And there's, there, there have been a lot of good programs. A lot of programs have had some highs over the last 20 years. Uh, George Washington win the, winning the NIT. George Mason getting to the Final Four. Americans made the tournament. Navy has had its moments. Uh, but the, the two flagships are Georgetown and Maryland. And when they're both good, when they're both competing, it really shines
0: a nice spotlight on the area. Yes, it Agreed. absolutely does. Uh, unfortunately, we don't have any more locals in the uh, active bracket. Uh, I just ripped mine up because it's such a disaster. But uh, do we want to pick another Final Four guys? Before we do, what, what's what's the big
2: one that that bothers you? The one, the one that bothered me was I had Duke getting to the Final Four and
0: they wow, lost. That's your Saturday. that's your
1: fault. See, yeah, yeah I know that's why. I, I,
0: hey, listen, <laughs> shut up. I
1: don't, hey, I don't feel bad for you at see. all.
0: That's Keep the it. one that really because danced on that grave. And actually, Ben Raby, uh noted uh, Duke Blue Devils fan who has actually never been to Carolina, he brought his kids into the newsroom, and I was joking with him. I was like, did you guys uh, did you guys uh, take care of daddy after he was boohoo crying that his oh, good Blue was lost? Oh. Yeah. yeah, so hopefully uh, I didn't scar them for life, but I the did scar them
1: for life. The, br- the Purdue obviously was the big one. I mean, right. that was – I
0: really had the and Dave Preston on this very show told me I was insane, and turns out I am.
1: <laughs> no it's yeah, i mean the thing yeah. is I, I arizona I, losing quick arizona yeah. maybe i had a couple more wins i think in purdue those right are the two and i had me.
0: arizona in the final four uh i the big shocker
2: for me is princeton not just beating arizona but then coming back two days later and pounding a, a missouri team by 15 i think if you didn't have the seed lines you would know in the first round that Arizona was the two, and Princeton was the 15. But if you saw that second-round game, you would not know that uh, that Missouri was the higher-seeded team of the two clubs. Princeton has played its way in, and they have, I think, who is it, uh, Creighton Friday evening. So even though Creighton has, has been very good, they're capable of stumbling. So if we,
0: if we could have a 15 seed getting into the regional final, that would be pretty awesome. Yep. I'm going to say this. We were vindicated in one aspect, and that is we sat here in this last show and we gave a lot of flowers to Tom Izzo in that Michigan yeah. State program. And lo and behold, look who's in the Sweet yep. 16 right now. And uh, actually in my amended Final Four, which actually half of my – Wait, can you do four, that? I mean, we're just going to do it for the sake of the show. I make a – Oh, bonus. all right. So okay. the, it's uh, a Huddle special Final yeah, Four. Yeah, it's a Huddle Audible. So, yeah. um, Well, then yeah,
1: whoever gets there after this weekend is who I'm going to pick for the Final Four.
0: Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. Uh, Michigan State, <laughs> oh, yeah. Michigan State, Michigan State, I I think can go. And here's yeah. a key statistic that I just heard uh, before we came on here. Tom Izzo is eight and two in the elite eight in his career. So right. uh, basically it's almost, I, I don't want to call it a buy into the final four, but it, you, you know, you win this uh, sweet 16 matchup. Uh, there's a really strong possibility that you know they take it even deeper into this tournament so i have them in my amended uh, final 4 the um my, my champion houston is still alive so yeah, i think about that and um hello friends uh, yeah right and the thing uh, about michigan Indiana state is still alive that's another final four team that i had so houston is still strong uh michigan state i think might actually mess around and go all the way to the final
1: michigan state cuz you get they beat kansas state then you got tennessee or fau yeah, and you're at the right. you're at the garden. You're gonna have all your fans there. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's gonna be pretty cool for Michigan State and Izzo. I think this uh, starting tonight.
2: Yep. I got to go with you guys to uh, substitute Michigan State in for Duke, uh, just because you know Izzo, he has a certain way about him in, in the tournament. Although, and Kansas State, you still have a first year head coach leading the uh, Wildcats, and Tennessee. I thought they would lose in the I thought they lose in the first round to Louisiana because they've been without their point guard. I think there's more tape on them and they're more vulnerable this week whether it's uh, against a, an exciting FAU team or, or against a, a very scrappy Spartan squad.
1: Rick Morrison, yeah. coach,
2: I yeah. give it to him. No, right. my other three schools, Bama, Houston and uh Yukon, still in it still feel good about those, but uh what's, what's nice is that you know there have been some thrills and chills and there have been some near spills as well i was i, I the uh what's it tcu uh throwing the uh making the last second three to get the cover against gonzaga it's not gambling if you have a system my friends
0: yeah, and uh, actually, guys, I'm paid by how many times he says thrills, chills, and or spills uh, over the course of the year, and that's why I'm in a higher tax bracket than I was last year. So uh, pivoting to the women's uh, tournament, uh, because we do have some uh, schools of local interest uh, still alive there, most notably Maryland, uh, taking on Notre Dame as of this recording. Uh, they have not played yet. That's a Saturday morning game in the Sweet 16. In, uh, they're in the Greensboro uh, well, I mean, they wouldn't play in Seattle at a, Greenville. What, Greenville, yeah, Greenville, uh, so, South Carolina. Yeah, so, um, so that one is uh, is a very interesting matchup—a two and a three—and uh, I think the Terps are going to win it. But I'm not the expert; Dave Preston is. Uh, what he do you
1: told me—they're going to win. Person? They can beat
0: Notre Dame, but South Carolina is going to be a problem. Exactly, and that's what we said at the beginning, at the outset of the yeah. tournament. Getting to the like, there—it almost feels like there's a ceiling on how far Maryland can go based right. on. Uh, being in the same uh, region as South Carolina. But, um, I mean, you got to get there in order to have a chance. Can they beat this Notre Dame team? I think they can. The question is,
2: will they be sharp from the get-go? Because this is an 11.30 a.m. tip-off yeah. Saturday morning. That is – and when I say there are a handful of things I don't like, I'm uh, there is a ton of things I don't like. <laughs> and, you know, first and foremost is the 10.02 tip-off at night – and the 11:30 a.m. tip-off in the morning. If they're able to play a, a solid 40 minutes, they were not completely on point against Arizona. They actually trailed at the half, and I think you saw the seeds of. If you want to beat Maryland, you got to do two things: you have to contain Diamond Miller in some way, shape, or form. She missed seven of her nine shots in the first half before getting you know in gear in the second half. And if you can get uh, Cheyenne Sellers, their best defensive player, in foul trouble early then Maryland is a shell of its former self. That happened against Arizona as well. Maryland played much better in that second half. That third quarter, they dominated 29-9. to You know, they, that's, that was textbook uh, Maryland uh, basketball this season. But I think Notre Dame is more talented than Arizona. So I think Notre Dame is better suited to try to do those things. Against Maryland, they also went toe to toe with them in uh, December. Maryland won uh, on a last-second shot by Diamond Miller, but both teams are a a lot different. Maryland's bench is much better. Notre Dame has had some injuries; they're a they have a completely different nucleus as well. I still can't doubt. Maryland under coach Brenda freeze. And what, you know, she's gotten absolutely everything out of this team so far this season. I think they do run into that proverbial brick wall, South Carolina playing in Greenville, South Carolina, which is in the same state as Columbia from what I've been told. So, <laughs> so I think I, 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 sadly, I think their run ends Monday night, but what a fantastic run and, and what a oh, great yeah. season by Maryland. Brenda probably doing uh next to maybe the national championship season doing her
0: best coaching job. No, agreed. The one thing to look out for, as uh, George Wallace is about to take off on us, but the defense. Uh, Notre Mm -hmm. Dame gives up, on average, a full 10 fewer points per game than Maryland does. And uh, uh, Maryland, I think, ranked 281st in the scoring defense in the regular season. So that's going to be a challenge is uh, being able to put the clamps uh, on the fighting irish uh in that game you like maryland in that game
1: george i do i think the um the slow start i agree with that i mean we've seen that you just don't want to get too slow and i think brenda will make make sure of that and then this team is just playing with house yeah there are two seed i get it but at this point i mean they you know weren't even supposed to come close to this this right. year so they're i think they're just playing with that we're having fun we're just playing hoops just go out and have fun and play
2: does she take them to Halifax to get them on Atlantic <laughs> time to so they can and along those lines, not having an athletic for not having the dynamic point guard that have those have been kind of the the hallmarks of the really good Maryland teams under Brenda Freeze, not having those two elements is has is kind of turned a lot of games into into a crapshoot this season. They lost at home to Nebraska by I think 23. They have been vulnerable at times. And against a really good Notre Dame team, a a team that can defend. As you mentioned, Rob, I I could see them losing. I think they will win this Saturday. But uh, South Carolina, I saw them beat uh, Maryland earlier this season in November. And South Carolina is just as good. They're just as dominant as they were in November. They are fun to watch unless the team you're covering is playing them.
0: Let's give uh, let's give Virginia Tech a little love, quick. You kind of raised your eyebrow when I picked them to go all the way to the final. How do you feel about their path? I think they've got a decent shot.
2: It's just it's it's a young program from the standpoint of their they have never been a number one seed before. They've not you know they haven't been to the Sweet Sixteen since 1999. So you have a lot of players experiencing. Okay, this is well. This is a different. We're no longer the hunters. We're now the hunted. And I think going out to Seattle might actually be a benefit. They get to get away from, you know, fans constantly glad handling them. And as a one see they're going to play a Tennessee team that, you know, even though the Vols are not what they used to be under Hall of Famer Pat Summit, they're very good this season. And there's still that thing, the, the old thing that uh, from the movie Catch Me If You Can, where, you know, the Yankees win, you know, how many games a year just by putting on the pinstripes. Tennessee, they win just putting on those orange uniforms and, uh, you know, Rocky top that's worth a possession or two. I don't think that's going to make a difference this Saturday, but, and I don't think Virginia tech makes the final four just because the things just, you know, won't happen, but, uh, what a great run mad props to them. It'd be awesome if both Maryland and Virginia tech could find their
0: way to Dallas next weekend. Boy, wouldn't that be interesting? That would uh, get local fans going for sure. Let's pivot over to the um, commander's ownership situation that has, uh, as of this recording anyway, and it is a very fluid situation. There uh, has not been a deal to uh, purchase the commander's. There is now three bids that we are aware of. And uh, initially we thought that there could be something imminent uh, was the word that was uh, used in uh, multiple reports uh, concerning the switching hands of uh, ownership, but uh, it's starting to look a lot more like this thing could uh, play a little slower than anticipated, and uh, and maybe last into as deep as May when the next uh, batch of owners' meetings are. So, I've had this conversation enough times that I can't remember if we've done it on here. Uh, it's it's a topic of discussion that we have in the newsroom all the time. It's a topic of discussion that. Uh, just about anybody who knows what I do for a living (laughs) wants to ask me, and that is who's going to buy the team. And when you talk about NFL ownership, the thing about it is this, all you have to do is be filthy rich enough to stroke the check, to buy the vast majority of the franchise. And sometimes you need investors to help you hit, you know, whatever the sale price is, but Basically, the only requirement is that you are rich enough and I guess ultimately charismatic enough to seduce the other at least 24 of the 32 owners or 31 other owners to accept you into that uh, fraternity. But just because you're rich doesn't mean that you're good for Washington. It doesn't mean that you're going to be a good owner. It doesn't make you a good owner. So. Everybody centered on Jeff Bezos, at least the fan base has. And, uh, you know, I I think it's almost universally almost uh, considered this huge coup for Washington if they're able to have Jeff Bezos stroke the big check that wouldn't even hurt him. I mean, he's probably got $7 billion in his couch cushions. And so he can painlessly stroke that check probably even by the stadium himself and uh, the, the the new uh, uh, training facility that right. doesn't get mentioned nearly enough in terms of things that they need, but his wealth doesn't mean that he's going to be a good owner. So my question is this, which of the known bidders do we think would actually be a good Owner for Washington, because here's the thing beyond the needs for the stadium, beyond the needs for the training facility, beyond the needs for purchasing the team, you need to repair 25 years worth of damage done between the relationship with the franchise and the city. So you have to be uniquely suited to not only stroke the check for all of those big purchases, but you also have to have, you know, sort of a a manner about you that allows you to sort of repair all that damage. So out of these guys, I don't know which of those guys is better suited to do that. The Josh Harris uh, bid is interesting only because he has experience owning other franchises and magic Johnson getting in on that bid makes it certainly interesting Uh, because both of those guys presently own multiple or at least hold stakes in multiple pro sports franchises. So that tells you that, Hey, they have experience, but also that splits their attention from doing the very diligent work that would need to be done to get Washington to, to use the the phrase that was used in one of these reports, wake up the sleeping giant, Mm -hmm. you know? So out of these bids, I don't I, I, I don't know which one would really repair this thing and 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 get Washington where we feel like they should go. George Wallace, one of your uh, buddies uh, just joined the fray. um what what do we think about the bids for uh, the commanders?
1: we all look the same to you
0: Just you and Stevie A, because I'm I, I, I want you to say his last name because I'm you gonna-, not
1: even gonna pronounce the last name. look, I think <clears throat> I don't know enough about him. The Harris group is interesting because from what I understand, there's some local, uh, also other local ties in that group. And he does have the experience owning uh, other franchises and you get yeah, magic uh, in there.
0: Sixers are who he, yeah.
1: yeah. And you okay. get magic involved too. Look, I think to answer your question, regardless of who it is, it's not dance night. Okay. So I think <laughs> immediately you're going to have a complete refresh. And I think that whoever it is knows and has done research on how bad it has been around here and just the things that you're going to need to do. As far as Harris is concerned, I don't know how much he's in the forefront and in the public eye in Philly. You'd have to ask around, but if, if you're just around and you talk to people, you talk to media once in a while, you've already won. Dan hasn't had any sort of, I have not said one word ever to Dan Snyder. I've been covering that team since 06, not one word. He never even looks our way, nothing. So I think, if you just do that and just the little things, you know, be like a human being and a, a, a you know, an adult, yeah. then you've won. Right. And then you'll have, you're going to have your honeymoon. The honeymoon is going to be for some time, you but know. That's
0: that. what, and that's the thing. The bar is so low. Everybody's next uh, answer when I say that, because I actually that's went it. after, well, not went after, but I challenged a couple of people on Twitter about this. It's just like, they're just like, oh, please, Bezos, save us, basically. And I'm just like, why do you think that that man in particular, is going to be a good NFL owner. Yeah. then no, take the obscenely rich, take that off the table. What about him makes you think he's going to be a good NFL owner? And I I, I don't I have yet to see a good answer to that yeah,
1: question. because because it, we've saw
0: Apostolopolis, right? Apostolopolis, yeah. Apostolopolis nice, was wasn't he wasn't that from Webster. Sorry. Apostle, a, a, that, that, yeah, I, I see what you did there. And I actually like it for a change. But yeah. look,
1: and um, because see. how many times do we say Dan's got the money, Dan will pay for whatever? So yes, we've been down that road before, right. just throw money at the problem. But you would think these guys that are coming in or that have put their bids out are more or better business people. Maybe they, you know, they will hire the right people to run the organization and to yeah. see how much hands on they'll have with it. But it doesn't matter who it is at this point. It's just gonna be somebody different.
0: I agree that anybody but Dan Snyder. You can't help but be better than Dan Snyder. Yeah. But there's there's a wide gulf between yeah. better than Dan Snyder and being one of the top owners in the NFL like a Robert Kraft or somebody of that stature. So right. I don't think anybody knew that Robert Kraft was going to be
2: the owner that he has become too. Right. And I think, you know, for the longest time the Rooneys were a laughing stock when Art Rooney basically in the forties, fifties, and sixties employed, you know, his drinking buddies as the head coach before he turned things over to his sons.
0: I mean, and also then, he got the team
2: from basically gambling. Yeah. <laughs> and that, and too, <laughs> that too. But at the time the NFL didn't, did embrace gambling, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> right. then, but then when he turned it over to his kids, you're like, Oh, great. It's a bunch of kids running a team. And uh, the Steelers became an NFL dynasty. You know, if you look at at first, it looked like the Cowboys could do no wrong under Jerry Jones, the way they, you know, he and Jimmy Johnson built, you know, the the Cowboys of the the early 90s. And you're like, oh, my goodness, this is what was a sleeping giant is now going to be an absolute monster. And. You know, Jerry has been a financial whiz as far as increasing revenue streams, which the owners like, but as far as a quality owner, a guy who's, you know, continued to uh, cultivate a championship culture, he's not done that. So, I mean, you don't, uh, very often you don't know how good an ownership group is going to be until they've been there for a coaching cycle or two. I don't think anybody thought that Dan Snyder was going to be as, the situation was going to be as bad as it's gotten to be, and it, I'm sure there were some people who thought this houndstooth wearing hats, uh, Ascot Canadian who owns the LA Kings buying the Burgundy and gold, this this guy, the Squire, he, oh gosh, Jack Kent Cook, he's got three names, he's going to be an absolute disaster in Washington, and no, he was the best thing for the franchise. So I'm just looking forward to not having the current uh, cloud, the current ownership group, the current drip. It, 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 this, this is uh, the slow-moving ownership process right now. Granted, it's what happens when you when a, when a multibillion-dollar franchise changes hands, but there's a bit of fatigue. So it's, yeah, I'm, I'm looking
0: forward to moving past the current situation. Absolutely. And part of the reason for people being a little impatient with this process is they just want Snyder the hell out. <laughs> just get yeah. him out of here. And so, yeah, I, I think under uh, normal circumstances, I think this is something that wouldn't even be necessarily a frontline topic of discussion. But because of how terrible the ownership situation was with Snyder at the helm, people just can't wait to get him out. So um, uh, still again, is, still not, is. He's not a was yet. Yeah, he I still mean, is. I
1: mean, <laughs> the reports are he's out of the building and he's, uh, he's yeah. completely hands off at this point. Look, the whole out of the building thing. Let's look, like, first of all, everybody's just throwing stuff against walls right now with this. Okay, <laughs> The whole, he hasn't been around at all. He hasn't been in that building. Right. That's months. All ago. of last yeah. year. Okay. Yeah. But until there's a, a game, signature on the paper, Right. No. I'm, you know,
0: it's just like when you sell a house. Right. I mean, yeah. you sell the house, you vacate the house and then it, it might be empty for two days right. or it might be empty for two months. Right. I actually knew somebody who left their house in five years. <laughs> the house was empty wow. and they just were just kind of sitting on the property. So hopefully th- that's not the case here with the. Oh, my the God. Crew. But Better not me. Um, you know, just because they've cleared out, yes, doesn't mean that it's as imminent as right. that implies. Yes, George is correct.
1: Hey, write that down. Thank you. Yeah,
0: yeah. I give you your props, man. I give Thank you your flowers. All right. you're serving. That's you're right. good. Yeah, this was a fun episode, guys. Hopefully we get a, a ownership news on that front uh, sometime in the very near future. But uh, until then, this was a great episode of the D.C. Sports Huddle. It is sponsored by MGM National Harbor. For the latest in Washington sports, visit MGM National Harbor and experience a sports fan's paradise. Rob Woodfork here signing off alongside George Wallace and Dave Preston. We are breaking the huddle until next week.